Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Great. Great. Thanks for the feedback there. Um, well, we haven't said it yet, but happy Father's Day. I don't think we've said it yet. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I was uh, thinking this morning about on Mother's Day, there was this great, you know, touching video. The kids were like saying how much they love mom. Remember that? And that means something to you, to dads. That's great. We don't have that video today. But what we have is donuts, and that works for us, right? So guys, happy Father's Day, there's donuts. We're kicking off a series today um, as well. Um, and my name is John, like Taylor said. This isn't my normal thing, so um, I appreciate the, the smiles and cheering me on as, as we launch into this. Um, Josh, like, like uh, Taylor said, is on vacation, so uh, we're happy uh, to, to give them rest and, and we pray, pray for them as as they uh, are away, that they're rested and rejuvenated, have some quality family time. Um, so today, you get me. Um, we're launching this new series called Killing It. And I actually need to, I'm sorry Taylor, I have to correct you. Because this is what I want to do too. I want to say killing it. Killing it. But it's actually killing it. you got to drop the G. It's killing it. What we're going to be talking about is, is the one thing that keeps you from and causes you to. Okay. It keeps me from and it causes me to. And I've got a list of things here. So see if you can identify this. It keeps you from celebrating other people's successes. It keeps you from initiating an apology when you know you were wrong. It it keeps you from initiating an apology when you were only 5% wrong and they were 95% wrong. It keeps you from being honest with yourself and with others. It keeps you from being known. It keeps you from learning new things. After all, I, I, I know it already, right? It keeps you from admitting you're lost. Sorry, guys, on Father's Day I had to go there. It keeps you from admitting when you're lost. It keeps you from admitting you need help. It keeps you from admitting weakness or failure. It keeps you from admitting you don't know what you're doing, even though everybody else already knows that. And it causes you to. It causes you to be happy when somebody else fails. It causes you to power up when you should be opening up. It causes you to cheat. So that you don't lose. It causes you to lie. It causes you to have to have to have the final word. And it causes you to, to buy things to impress people who aren't even paying attention to you anyway. So any guesses? We've, we've sort of talked about it already. Say it with me. It's pride. Right? It's already in your notes. So there was no surprise there. We're going to talk about pride for the next three weeks. So buckle up. Get excited. Right? Um, isn't that exciting? So... And this isn't the kind of pride uh, that, that comes up when you're proud of, of your kids. You're proud of, you know, they scored the goal, or you're proud of the piano recital, or even yourself. You can be proud of a job well done. Uh, you put a lot of work into it, and, and you're proud about it. So it's not that kind of pride. It's the ugly stuff, right? And it's in you, and it's in me. And probably you already know what I'm talking about. But just to be clear, C.S. Lewis gave us some help about this ugly pride. He said... Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. So all that nasty stuff is just a flea bite on the back of pride. That's how big and nasty it is in comparison. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about killing it. Right? How to kill pride in our life. So today we have this illustration of a remote control. You probably have about 18 of these in your house. Some of them are in the couch cushions and you haven't seen them in a while. 
But, but you know what this does? If you pause and think about it, it's pretty amazing what it can do, right? Whatever device it's paired with, it, it is in full control. You can turn on, turn off. You can change the channel. You don't like what you're seeing, change it. You can mute volume up. What does this have? Uh, inputs, colors, menus, all kinds of things. But this is in full control of, of the device that it's paired with. And so the idea today is that pride is holding this in your life. Pride is holding the remote control in, in your own life. It has power over you. And that's a scary thing. We're going to kind of unpack that. Um, but that's the, the illustration we use today. So here's some things you probably already know about pride. But just to get on the same page for today and then for the next couple of weeks, let's, let's dive into what actually is pride doing to us. Number one, pride diminishes you. It diminishes me. Pride diminishes us. In that video, you know, this is, you see the moment before kind of the, the fall or the failure where we actually think, I'm going to be bigger and better. I'm going to skateboard a little cooler right here. I'm going to flip my hair or rev my engine or whatever. Um, but what we find out is that pride actually, instead of making us bigger and better, it leads to making us smaller and, and worse off. It diminishes you. And it does that by diminishing your capacity. That's the second note. Diminishes your capacity. And there's a few things here. Diminishes your capacity to admit the things you need to admit. To apologize when you need to make an apology. It diminishes your capacity to acknowledge something that needs to be acknowledged. We're flying through the notes here, so we'll be done in about six minutes. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, it diminishes your capacity to do all of these things. And you probably, we've probably all had this scenario happen. Um, can you remember the last time something happened in a conversation or there was an argument or disagreement? And then you went to this room and they went to that room and you're, you're sitting down and, and, and you just know we got to fix this, or I know I need to probably say I'm sorry about this, or... But what happens is we sit there, and then the layers and the weight start setting in that keeps us from, from apologizing. We're sitting on the couch, and they're, they're standing over there, and I need to go up there, but there's something that's keeping me in my seat, that's keeping my lips closed. And, and what, what we're going to find is that that's pride. That, that battle going on inside of you that keeps you from doing those things you need to do is pride setting in. It diminishes your capacity to say what you need to say. You might know of somebody close to you that needs, that desperately needs just a word from you, an encouragement. Maybe uh, somebody you work with, uh, an attaboy or that girl. Um, but pride diminishes. The thing, the thing is, you know you need to do it. That's the funny thing. You know that they could really use a word from me of encouragement, but pride keeps us from saying what we need to say. It also keeps us from hearing what we need to hear. You know, people who are close to you may be trying to get through and, and uh, the words just seem to bounce off. In fact, they say that. They say the words feel like they're just bouncing off. I can't get through. Um, and, and that's pride keeping us from hearing what needs to be heard. It's like it can, it can hit mute. I don't know if this is the right comparison. It hits mute on our ears or, or whatever. It, it drowns out what people are saying. We can't hear it. That's pride holding the remote control. Another thing, it keeps us from giving what needs to be given. You might see a need uh, somewhere 
you might notice it, and you can do a really quick calculation in your head, and you think, man, I actually think I could do that. Whether it's give a little bit of money, give a little bit of time, um, give a, a space in your house, or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, pride can keep us from giving what needs to be given. And here's the bottom line, is that pride makes us smaller. So, so we're talking about how it diminishes us, it makes us smaller. It's like it's standing guard over our, over our ears, over our mouth, over our wallet, over our calendar. It just stands guard and, and keeps it back. It's got the control button on us. So, so, so what's happening is it's diminishing our capacity to give love and to receive love. So it goes without saying that pride crowds other people out. It makes us smaller, it diminishes us, but it's actually doing something else. It's crowding other people out. And here's a, a cute phrase, I guess, or a memorable phrase um, about this. It says, when you are full of you, there's no room for anybody else. When you are full of you, there's no room for anybody else. We don't have unlimited capacity to love ourselves fully and love other people fully. Once it's full of us, there's no room for other people. And that's a bummer. I wish it was both, but it's not. Um, and you might know what this feels like if you're on the other side of things. You might know what it feels like to be crowded out, to be the one that's pushed out because somebody is kind of wrapped up in themselves so much that, that you're the one that gets crowded out. Maybe it was a parent that couldn't say I was wrong or, or apologize to you growing up, or maybe it's somebody at work or a boss, and you just, you get, you know what it feels like, right? But, but we're also saying that when you are full of you, you're doing that to other people too. It's like, it's like they're shoved into a corner. Because what it does is pride deprioritizes the other people. It's like you're, I've heard the illustration of like pushing other people down so that I could get up. Pride is deprioritizing other people. And in that way, you're actually crowding people out of your life. But along with crowding people out, something else is happening. Even more uh, important, even more ultimate going on is that pride crowds God out. And that's why we're spending some time here, three weeks at church, talking about this. Yes, the Bible speaks to having good relationships with others, good connection, uh, you know, with your kids and your, your friends and your at work. But, but actually, something ultimate here is that pride is crowding God out of your life. It's possible. Psalm 10, verse 4, says this. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. And actually, that makes sense because we just said that the pride means I'm full of me, so there's no room for anything else. So, so in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, meaning God, because he's seeking himself. He's, he's numero uno, right? Or she's numero uno. So if that makes sense. It goes on to say this. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. The original language of this verse, it, and your translation might even say something like this. It says, in his thoughts, in quotes, there is no God. So actually, he, th- just not a factor. God is not a factor in the thinking of a proud person. And that's dangerous. Um, that's really dangerous. The Bible calls that type of person a fool. It's somebody who does not factor God in. So to that, here's the thinking is that if, since there is no God, there is no creator, there is no authority, uh, there's nobody that I am subject to, so it might as well be me at the center of everything. I, I am the center of my world. I am subject to no one. Everything is about me. And that's pride 
kind of full, fully uh, manifested in our lives. That's, that's what it looks like. Now, this verse introduces an idea. Kind of a side note here we'll talk about um, just briefly. But it introduces this idea. And somebody here may need to hear this today. Maybe you've been under the impression that, that you, I just can't quite commit with, with God. I can't quite get on, to, on board with this Christianity thing and following Jesus because I can't wrap my mind around this. I have, I have these things. But, but here's a side note. It is entirely possible that it's your pride, not your intellect, that keeps you from God. It's entirely possible it's your pride. You have a pride problem, not a problem with how smart you are. And you know the arguments about why God can't exist and why the Bible maybe can't be that reliable and, uh, or, or fill in the blank. And, and when we think it's our minds, it's our intellect that, that is keeping us. But actually, it might be a pride problem. And here's how you know. If in addition to, to stiff-arming God with your intellect, you also stiff-arm people in your life with your intellect, then it's actually a pride problem, not how smart you are. Okay, and that's, and that's tough to say, um, because I know there's times in my life when I think I, you know, I'm following my own mind and my own thoughts, but actually that's leading me away from God and not towards Him. So it's possible maybe that you needed to hear that today. But, we, but I'm sure at some level we can all identify with this ugly pride thing that's in you and it's in me. What pride does is it builds up walls, actually like a prison. Pride is a prison for us. It shuts us in and it shuts God and others out. No one would opt for this. Here's a scenario. No one would opt for or hope for such a strong case of pride in their life that that their loved ones wonder whether or not they loved them, right? Uh, nobody hopes that at my funeral, if I could just see my own funeral, I hope that everybody's there and asking each other, did he love you? I don't know if he, did he love you? I'm not sure. Um, there wasn't much evidence to make me sure that he loved me. Nobody hopes for that. But in fact, that's what pride does as when it crowds people out and it crowds God out. And that's ugly. So what can we do about it? So there's the problem. There's the tension we feel, and, and I feel too. So what can be done about it? And here's something you may not have considered it quite this way. That the invitation to follow Jesus is the invitation to unfollow pride. Alright, I'll say that again. The invitation to follow Jesus, the invitation we all have to follow Jesus, is the invitation to unfollow pride. Because, in fact, we can't unfollow pride. If we're following pride on Instagram, we, can't un- we don't have the permissions to unfollow it without the help of Jesus. Or fill in your favorite social media. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the ability to. And here's the neat thing. If you are not, um, or if you're just checking things out, you're not quite fully sure about this following Jesus thing. Or even if you are following Jesus, but you always need some help, and how do I do this better? Here's the thing. If we follow Jesus... Today, this week, in this one area that, that I'm about to, to, to talk through, if we follow him in this one area of dealing with pride, you're going to reap the benefits uh, of what he promises will happen without fully committing. You can just take one step, and, and this might be the one step for you today, is to follow Jesus in how he modeled a radically liberating version of humility. Okay, so what's the... How do we unfollow pride? We follow Jesus the way he was humble in dealing with people. It's applicable to all of us. Regardless of who you think Jesus was or is, it's going to help us out. 
Uh, Jesus taught and modeled a radically liberating version of humility. So go back to that scenario. Something just happened to you and your spouse, you and your friend, um, you and your boss, and you're sitting there, and you know you need to say something, right? Maybe, we've, I think we've all had that kind of experience. Isn't it, isn't so, it's an emotional thing that's going on. It's funny that our mind knows, I was wrong, I should say, you know, I, I'm sorry. Or our mind knows, yeah, I, I wasn't 0%, you know, uh, innocent in this situation. Our mind knows that, but we, something is battling in us and keeping us on our chair, keeping us from getting up. And, and it's that emotional thing that, that actually, if we follow Jesus' example on this, we can get right through that. The thing, the, the control that keeps us down is, is the thing, if we follow Jesus, that, that lifts that, uh, that power in our lives of keeping us from, from fixing things and, and doing that. So we just sang a song, I am set free. Oh, 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 oh. I am set free. We sing that. And it's and I love that song. It's such a blessing. That one that one's not right on the surface, what we're saying. I mean it is, but it, but it's not really. It's a blessing to stop and think about that. What are we saying that we're free from? See, we're we're Americans. It was Bald Eagle Day last week. Did you guys see that? It was like Bald Eagle Day. So we're fired up, we're we we have freedom, we're we're in America. But, but we sing about these songs about freedom in Jesus. What does that mean? Because we thought we were free, but were you really free? Were you really free to admit that you were wrong in that scenario? Could you really uh, address something and, and compliment somebody publicly? Were you free to brag on your son or daughter publicly? Or uh, you fill in the blank. Were you really free before Jesus came in to do those things? And the answer is, Maybe we weren't really. Pride had the remote control on us. So let's follow Jesus in this. Let's follow his example and break through the pride. Because actually, here's what Jesus said. Greatness is measured in terms of how well you serve other people. Not how well they serve you. Not how fast your car is. Or not how, how much money is in the account. Or how much publicity you have. But greatness is measured in his book. His, his ruler says, how, how great did you serve other people? And that's how we get through the pride and that heavy stuff that keeps us from saying and hearing what we need to do. So during those moments, follow Jesus' example. Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Right? So Jesus taught this. He modeled this. So let's dive into Jesus for a minute. The meek shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? And I actually don't even know. I tried to study that this week. We'll ask Josh when he gets back, okay? The meek, but here's what I know, that meekness, I looked that up. Meekness, it means gentle and humble. It means I could have done something, but I didn't. Because I'm going to let that person go first. Or I'm going to defer to that person. That's what meekness is. And Jesus says, they're going to inherit the earth. And, uh, and that's an, even if it said they're going to inherit California, that's enough for me. I've been to some cool spots in California. That even if that was it, Jesus said, there's some kind of reward for this. If you are meek, if you defer to people, if you hold back that comment, sure, maybe you felt like you could have said that. But if you defer and hold back uh, and humble yourself, you're going to have reward eternally. And, and here's a story. Let me, let me tell two stories about Jesus. One, Jesus was at the Last Supper, and, and maybe you've heard this story before. But he's with all of his disciples and a bunch of guys in the room. They're about to eat dinner. And this is a significant uh, time towards the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. So just before the food comes out, 
Jesus gets up and says, hold on, i got to do something. And he takes off his cloak or whatever it looked like. He took off his own piece of clothing, dipped it in water, and he started to wash his disciples' feet. And this is significant. We don't. The symbolism kind of gets lost for us because we have socks and shoes and hiking boots. And if we're going to walk outside all day, we, we gear up for that. But these, these are big guys, I imagine, with sandals and it's dusty and roads are dirty. And, and here's Jesus pausing what's going on to wash his disciples' feet. And, and, and actually, if you read in John 13, if you read this encounter, some of the disciples go, whoa, whoa, whoa they back up. Don't, don't wash my feet. You know, I, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. And that's true. Because with Jesus' hands, he healed people. He touched them. And, and their skin leprosy was healed. He touched people's eyes and their blindness was, was released. They could see. He, he rose people from the dead. So with those hands, Jesus was washing his disciples' feet in this really backwards way of, of showing humility. Jesus was doing that. He says to his followers, now you do that. In fact, let's read it. I think the verses are on the screen. Here's the end. Here's right after he, he washed their feet. When, when Jesus finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And, and not literally. I mean, maybe. But not literally, because their, their feet were already clean. He said, keep washing each other's feet. He was talking about humbling yourself before others. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There is blessing. You'll inherit the earth. You'll unlock the the power that pride has in your life if you follow Jesus' example in this. And here's the craziest thing. So now, that, there's that story. Now zoom out even more. Here's the craziest thing that Jesus did. The, the pinnacle, the are you kidding me moments uh, when we look through uh, the course of history. This is what Jesus did. Is Jesus initiated reconciliation. That's what he did. When we, when we are wronged, when somebody wrongs us, we wait. And we make them come to us. Right? We... Uh, we stop texting back, or we, we stay in our room, or we wait in our office for them to come to us. But Jesus initiated reconciliation. You see, he was always right. Jesus was right, but he was wrong, but he initiated reconciliation. Jesus was right, he's righteous. He was wronged by our sin, but he came to us. He initiated reconciliation. And if we just follow Jesus in this one area, if we initiate reconciliation, and humble ourselves, then we break through the power that pride has. We rip the remote control out of pride's hand, and then we hand it over to Jesus, even in in this just one area. Pride says, wait. Jesus says, initiate. All right, since that's cute, let's say it out loud together, okay? Pride says, Jesus says, okay, one more time, we'll get everybody. Pride says, Jesus says, initiate. Pride says, no, wait, wait, wait. They, they were wrong. They should come to you. But Jesus said, nope, just go. You, you call. You get up off the couch and do it. And here's what, here's what sometimes, if you've been in church for a while, this is what it looks like. 
Um, hey man, you know, I really need some prayer with this. You know, me and my wife, this thing came up. Will you pray for me? And, and the response of that other person should be, nope, here's my phone. Initiate. I'll pray for you as you call and do that, but don't wait. You're waiting. You know, Jesus said, don't wait. Just initiate. So there's one more, one more story about Jesus and and this isn't from, you know, I'm not reading a, a piece of scripture here, but we know this from the Bible that in, in the cosmic, you know, universe, God is there. God is, is outside of time, outside of space. And he's, a, he's created. And at some point, sin came into the world, right? And it wasn't quite, so here's God. There's the Father, the Son, the Spirit. There's God watching sin just corrupt what they intended to be good. And so at some point, Here's the scene. God the Father is looking at, looking down, and he, he elbows the Son. He says, hey, you know what? We're going to have to do something. This isn't how I meant it to be. We're going to have to send you down, Jesus. You're going to have to go, uh, be born, become one of them, tell them about us, and then actually you're going to have to die for them. And that's pretty heavy stuff, right? If I'm Jesus in that moment, I'm thinking, yeah, all right, not me. Let's send the Spirit. He can do it. You know, but uh, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, "You know what? You're right. Um, let's do this." And and even after 30 years, 30 years later, he was born. He was he he was raised like a child. He was not treated the best all of this time. He he was kicked out of cities and beaten. And and even 30 years later, sticking to that mission, he walked up to die for us with a cross on his back. He he stuck to the mission of initiating reconciliation. Romans 5.8 says it this way, that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He, we were still being wrong in his eyes, but he died for us. And in that way, he showed us love. In that way, he showed us humility. In that way, he showed us a way to unlock the power that pride has in our lives. So what if that was your approach to your relationships? That you humbled yourself, that you took a, a the, the, the way Jesus took it and, and humbled yourself. So Paul was writing a letter to, to a group of Christians just like us, a group of people trying to figure out how do we do this Christian life. And here's what he wrote in Philippians 2. He said, your attitude should be the same as, as that of Christ Jesus. And even without any further description, I'm in trouble because I can't always do that. The approach that he took is so hard. In other words, we need to take the same approach. And here's what he did, verse 7. This is Philippians 2. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Remember, this is God in heaven taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. See, those, there's some words we don't like. Servants. We don't like the word humble. This is a radical approach to us. It's... It's hard to do this stuff. But how far did he take it? How far did he serve us? How far did he humble himself? And here it is. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So how do we even follow that example? Are we supposed to physically die for, for people and serving them? And maybe, I don't know, I pray for the faith to, if that's what I'm supposed to do. But maybe it looks like this each and every day. Maybe we initiate the apology. Maybe, maybe we just zip our lip and listen. Maybe that's what it looks like to humble yourself. Maybe you spend your time or your money differently. I don't know what it is for you. 
that here at OCC we try to, to work this in to the way that, that the culture is said and the way we do life. We call this a hard attitude of putting the goals and interests of others uh, in front of our own, above our own. And, and that's in the same passage of Scripture that Paul wrote, Philippians 2. So don't, be, don't do anything out of selfishness. Don't do anything out of conceit. Don't promote yourself is what that means. But humble yourself. Consider the interests of others greater than your, than your own. And that's how we do this. That's how we take that attitude that Jesus did. So Jesus did it. He washed his disciples' feet. He died on the cross. He, he lived this life of humility as an example. And he said, follow me. Do this. And that's how we begin to, to get to the answer. How do we unlock the power that pride has when it's holding the remote? Do you really want pride to control what you hear, what you say, what you do, what you give? Uh, I know I don't. And so we have the option to, we're kind of at a fork in the road, either address it and try to do what Jesus did, knowing that that's the only way to rip this out of pride's hand, or we can do nothing and and carry on. So here's how we're going to try to to wrap our minds around this for the rest of the week. I want to ask you three questions in closing to try to help you think through what does this look like for me for this week. Number one, how does pride manifest itself in you? How does pride manifest itself in you? And you may need to think about this later, spend spend some time. And if you don't know the answer to that question, uh, somebody else probably does. So you could ask them, maybe somebody close to you. Wait till like the end of the meal to ask them this question so you have an enjoyable first half of the meal. But, but, and here it is. And this is just to be open with you. Here's what it looks like for me sometimes. Um, and it's embarrassing, but, but if I share it with you, maybe that helps me. Um, but sometimes I think my idea is better. My, I have a, a better you know, thing to say here. And so what, what happens is I may not actually listen to other people. And I'm just waiting for the chance to say what's in my mind, to say my thing. Um, and what is it for you? How does it manifest itself? Uh, another question, and this one's a little harder, is what does pride masquerade as in you? How is it camouflaged in you? And it's a tricky thing. Remember the C.S. Lewis quote? All that stuff is small in comparison. It, they're flea bites on the back of pride. So what actually happens is pride can soak up something that's good and turn it into something that's bad. For example, confidence. You could be a confident person, and that's okay. But pride might take you a little too far into the realm of arrogance. Or, or humor. You could be a funny person. And, but, but, the, but then you enter the realm of sarcasm and putting other people down. Or fashion. You enjoy you know, looking nice, and that's fine, and that's good. But, but what is behind your efforts in doing that? And is pride masquerading in some of these virtues that you have? So think through that. And that's hard. And that's, this is challenging. By the way, this is me too. I wasn't asked to do this because I've got this figured out. I'm, I'm soaking this in just like you are. And then the third question, kind of rhetorical, is how long do you plan to let pride hold the remote? How much longer do you want it to hit mute on everybody in your life? Um, pride can turn to the you channel in, in your life. And it's 24-7. It's you. There's no commercials even. And it's just you all the time. Pride can do that. And we've seen the effects of that. It crowds people out. It makes us smaller. It crowds God out. So wouldn't you like to kill it? We're talking about killing it 
And, and that's the thing we want to kill. And this week, let's do that. And that's going to require something of you, okay? So in that moment when you know you need to say something, you know you need to take the first step, it's almost as if you're looking pride in the face and saying, watch this pride, I'm going to go apologize. Watch this pride, I'm going to go tell somebody I'm proud of them. Watch this pride, I'm going to... I'm going to show up early, or I'm going to be on time. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you, but, but you can kill it in that way, that, that each and every uh, moment of every day to remember what Jesus did. And you, you can kill it before it kills you. Okay? So for the next few weeks, that's what we're doing. That's what we're talking about. Um, and I'm going to wrap up and invite the worship team to come back up, and then the ushers can prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And you can take the time to finish your welcome card and the information on there. And here's a few next steps that I want to tell you about. A few next steps you can do. Number one, memorize Psalm 10, 4. And that's the verse that says, uh, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In his thoughts, there is no room for God. And that's a good reminder that, of something we do not want to do. We want to always calculate God into the equation. Or... Second step, you can just identify one way I can kill pride this week. Think through those questions. How does this show up? It's sneaky. Remember, it's hard to see in the mirror. So how can you identify it? How can you kill it this week? All right. So let, I'm going to say a prayer for, for all of us as we enter this week and with this on our, on our minds and trying to kill pride. So let me say a prayer. Father, we thank you so much for... Your words, we thank you for the example of Jesus, the way you showed us how to kill pride in our lives. It's scary to think, God, of the effects that pride can have. I know I don't want that. I want my loved ones to, to know that I love them. I don't want to crowd you out in my life, God. So we ask for your help to kill the thing that keeps us from doing that. So dear God, we just thank you so much for the way you've given us a better way to do things. God, I pray for this morning, this offering that we give, that it would uh, continue the work of the church, that the mission would go forward, God, because of people's generosity. We pray all this in Jesus' name.